You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. Hey kids, it's Digital Noise time. Digital Noise. Digital, digital, digital noise. noise. I know I'm excited. I'm excited too. Aaron, I've never seen you not excited about anything. Uh, it's fair. kind of a perpetual state uh, of being. I, I, I am a, uh, I do have what is called a sunny disposition. You do. Although I admit, um, this stack has one of my favorite movies of the year and one of my favorite action movies of the year. So I, I had a lot to enjoy. There was... Hmm. This is the second week in a row that you've given me a stack that I I, I thoroughly liked. Sure, that's what I meant to do. Yeah, yeah. He foiled me again. <laughs> Stupid Sonny. You just give me like Red Christmas too next time. Yeah, right. I'll be I, like, I was oh. actually I was very I was almost jealous because I listened to the one that John Golson did where he talked about having the worst reviewed movie he's ever done on the show. And it made me kind of mad because I ran into that like my second or third cycle. Yeah, that's true. And I've never topped it. No, Ever since then, I've just been like, I'm kind of waiting for something to no, make me more angry, but in, no. Keep in mind, he has seen, I mean, it wasn't like the first really, truly terrible film he's reviewed on the show. I know. It was just the worst one yet. There have been others. I know. I've had bad movies, yeah. but I've just... I've. It's been like two years now, and I don't think I've ever topped Red Christmas. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> Uh, but we're going to start off here with a pretty major release that I didn't get to review when it came out, and I can't remember why. I think it was the same night as something else. We did review it on the site. I just wasn't on it. For Gemini Man. Now, this is Ang Lee directing Will Smith and Will Smith. Yes. <laughs> as he discovers, as he's like experienced older hitman who wants to get out of the game, but... Uh, somebody st- suddenly starts gunning for him, and he only and he comes to find out it's a younger version of himself, a clone of himself who does not realize that he is a clone, yeah, or that this is even what's going on right now at all. Um, and you know, I I don't think this film went absolutely anywhere that I didn't predict upon seeing the trailers where it was going to go. I think that weirdly the CG is just fine up until the final scene where weirdly the the character young will smith is just walking around in sunlight on a college campus oh, God, and no. i was it's so wonky it's literally like jittery and i, I was like how did you you have him doing action scenes like and it looks fine that's cuz this there, scene looks terrible what there's the a fuck? lot more about that final scene that has issues other than the way it looks <laughs> like honestly this one kind of surprised me i went into it especially with the lackluster reviews it got when it came out Expecting a relatively paint-by-the-numbers, just kind of meh PG-13 action film, it ended up being a lot more brutal than I expected. And I think part of that was because you forget Ang Lee is is a truly great director. Can be. And, yeah, fair, fair. Um, I think he kind of knocked it out of the park with the way he directed the action. He does a lot of oneers. Um, and the movie has a very European spy thriller action feel where it's kind of cold and withdrawn. And a lot of the action is more methodical in its pace. It's not a lot of quick cutting. Um, so, like, I kind of ended up having a really good time with it. Mm-hmm. I think that 
having Will Smith and all the talk that they did about, yay, this is an effects, like, first time ever, and this is so amazing. It's like, Avatar, you gotta see it, because it's so wow. Like, that killed the movie. They shouldn't have done that. Yeah. If this had been released as just, like, a small <coughs> B-movie action, I think it would have really surprised a lot of people. They've been trying to get this movie made for something like 25 years. I mean, no, no kidding. Yeah. Not with Will Smith, with any number of different big-name actors, including Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Sean Connery. They've all been, at one point, signed on to do this film. Uh, So it's like one of those movies that clearly the studio was beyond thrilled to be the guys who finally got to make this fucking movie. And it's a cool idea, but it's just a so-so script. No, you know what? This movie reminds me a lot of the first Bourne movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Just in the way it feels. The only difference is that there is some beautiful... So, wait, wait, wait. Before I say what I'm about to say, Chris, you watched the 4K 60 frames per second version. I did. I watched the not 4K 30 frames per second version, which, per the special features, looks better because they had to shoot for the 60 frames. Mm-hmm. It was gorgeous. The colors were popped. It was the There was a nice smoothness to everything. It was crisper than normal. It was so crisp and vibrant that I actually realized my TV had been fucked up for a while. And it wasn't until there's this big action sequence um, where they're having a car chase through somewhere. It was a couple of weeks ago. And the colors are beautiful. And I was watching it and going, you know, I can tell that they put a lot of effort into this. It's a shame they shot it so cold. Uh-huh. And I paused and it was like, wait a minute. That's my TV. And, and I went and started fiddling with my TV. I was like, oh, no, no, there we go. It's gorgeous. Okay, <laughs> I got it right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, watching this in 60, <clears throat> I mean, I have a 4K TV. And, I mean, there's no question that what they were aiming for is beautiful. But I still just don't like the look of those higher frame rate yeah. movies. It just, I don't care what these big name directors like him and Peter Jackson think because everyone else pretty much is like, it looks like a Spanish soap opera. It It looks like video. Uh, And I, I get it. It's, it's much higher, you know, whatever you can see more detail. Well, that's not always a good thing. Like, it also has Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it. Who's terrific. Admittedly, one of the few people who I just think is the most beautiful woman alive. She's amazing. I love her. A great actress. And uh, she does a great job in the movie. This is a great lazy Sunday movie. It's and it's one of those films I go, it's fine. The- I'll end up watching it again someday. Yeah. You know, it's it's not anything I'm to write home about at all. It's got a couple really cool action moments. It's a great idea. It just, the script desperately needed another pass or Having two. said that, the last three minutes of this movie apparently look like shit. Um, but also should have been cut from the movie. It's terrible. It's poorly written, and it re- like it's just it's bad. If you watch this movie, stop it once the climax ends. Do not watch the denouement. It's bad. So there is one really truly interesting extra feature on here that is only on the 4K disc, and the and, rest are EPKs. Uh, that is a visual effects progression by Weta. And it's only three minutes long, but it's pretty fucking neat that shows, like, literally pass by pass with some of the bigger, you know, Will Smith versus Will Smith action scenes, how they did it. Oh, I would watch the shit out of and that. It's That'd be great. It's really cool. Like, it really is one of those, like, just, it's like a kid's first primer on how modern digital filmmaking works. Because most of the digital stuff in here is, is pretty seamless. You're oh, like, yeah. Wow, the, I couldn't there, tell. There's a great scene where Will Smith and Will Smith get into this intense fist fight, which goes on really long and is really painful, but they have a part where they're wrestling and their faces are pressed up against each other into the camera. And I, you 
can't really tell it's a CG double. I the did... only problem though is that every other special feature on this disc is is a five to ten minute EPK yeah. where they're just wanking Ang Lee's pretty standard wonderful filming off, and it's a visual marvel over and over again. V- very standard EPK type stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's there's ones that are a little. There's one that's eighteen minutes. There's one that's just sixteen minutes. But still, there there there's nothing really surprising. There's two deleted scenes, neither of which are even essential on any level. But you know. Uh, like I said, it's one of those, it's a showpiece disc for 4K systems, and on that level, it's not bad at all. Um, I did think it was interesting. One of the things I picked up watching that little extra feature I was talking about was there's a scene where the two Will Smiths are fighting this other guy who's wearing like a motorcycle suit. And when they show, they take away all the CG. I was like, oh my God, that's Marco Zoror. He's like <laughs> the, the, the the greatest Chilean action wait, martial artist. Wait, really? Yeah. That was Mark. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I, I was not like, get that, that character is like, wow, whoever's doing this is an amazing fucking martial yeah. artist. And then when I could see who it was, like, oh, well, it's Mark Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I'm now like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Our next one is a movie. I honestly thought this was going to be just let's get through it. But ended up being, I thought, a really solid, albeit not unfamiliar, tense police thriller called Black and Blue. Um, so I guess you did not care for this at all. No, 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 no. Th- th- that's not it. That's just... So I, your face just froze in a rictus. I, I have feelings. You have feelings? So please continue. To talk. To, let's lay out the plot, and then I'll tell you what my issues were with this movie. Right, director Dion Taylor uh, helms this movie, where Naomi Harris is an ex-veteran who has returned to New Orleans, her hometown, where she becomes a member of the police department. She's the new person. She Her partner, uh, Kevin, played by Reed Scott from Veep, is uh, she's slowly becoming clear that there's a lot of you know there's us and then there's them yeah. type feel going on and he's nice enough to her but like it's still like hey you know well, we don't we don't even answer calls in this part of town it's a look at the disconnect between the american populace and the police with all the shootings that happen but from the point of view of the police so she ends up accepting a double shift uh she witnesses the guy who she's assigned with is a much older cop just being part of a group of other cops who straight up just murder, a murder uh, a, this this drug guys, and you're like, okay, and it's clear, and she's oh, got her her camera on or her her uh, uniform, so it records the whole thing. It's murder a drug guy, and then before they can make up some excuse, they shoot her. Yeah, too. yeah. So which, it's just like, her, no, th- this is definitely death. Which her body armor <laughs> stops and she manages to get away just barely. And the whole movie is basically one of those, like, there's nowhere you can turn. Everyone is against you. How in the fuck are you going to get out of this yeah. type movies where the gangbangers want nothing to do with her because she's police. The, all the police believe that, you know, there's a very good reason for stopping her. And some of the police, a good portion of them who are corrupt, are going to shoot her on sight yeah. if they see her. There's absolutely no one she can trust until she meets up with Tyrese Gibson. And we meet a little earlier in the film as a guy working at a local grocery store in the bad part of town who seems a little less mad at the police than ever everyone else if not exactly well, I, friendly. I don't know that he's less he's not mad at the police it's just that he also sees the police as human beings yes is what it is you but know? you know the main villain is frank grillo which is his role which is always fun to play. Yeah. i love frank grillo as a bad guy <laughs> and i'll say like like i said this thing is is by no means creating anything super new but i really like naomi harris in this i thought this thing got appropriately kind of tense i thought there's a really nice kind of turn that is still Totally 
there's nowhere else it could have gone, but where she basically just walks right into the center of yeah. the drug drug world and goes like, ah, here yeah, I it was going to happen, but it yeah. was fun. But but I enjoyed that. Um, what's his name? Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Who played? Um, is it Tyree Gibson? No, no, no. The guy who played Luke Cage. Oh, t- uh, uh, oh, Mike Coulter plays yeah, like go. the sort of the head drug dealer guy and the thing who's like he's a bad guy, but I he's one of those not bad guys. Realize that's who that was. Yeah, he's like he's like the bad guy who's like also n- not the villain. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he, he he is the secondary bad guy. So, so here's my issue with this movie, and, and I'll try to keep it relatively short because this movie was it was okay. It was a good idea. I think the actors all did really well in the movie. The problem I had was with the tone of the film. Uh, whenever you see this kind of movie, which I am normally a huge fan of, it tends to be almost a horror movie where it's just about these people being put through such a continuously punishing circumstances that it's painful and thrilling and you're with it. And they're almost mean. This movie felt like instead of leaning into that gruesome, violent painful side of things it leaned into melodrama and so like there's lots of speechifying in the movie as well and every time that happened while i ostensibly agree with everything they're saying in the movie like this is not a a case of just disagreeing with the political message right it just it there's a point you're like weird i was just like you're belaboring your speeches you're belaboring the point is what the director is to get more thrilling and get more tense and instead they'd stop the movie dead in its tracks to talk about what this all means and and that always aggravated yeah i still i still found it just as tense but i but i did find myself taken out whenever the movie would basically be over explaining it's like literally the plot of this movie creates no need for a character to point blank explain what you're talking about because the movie it says it all you you've shown us you don't yeah. need to tell us i, I, I wanted i wanted and this is a case of me wanting something different i wanted this to be a leaner meaner movie with a little bit more action in it and less speeches and like is it okay yes are you going to be able to enjoy it uh, if you like the trailer i think so it's worthwhile the actors are all great mm-hmm. but it's just it could have been better there's two featurettes, uh, short featurettes on here, EPKs, uh, a, a little under five minutes of deleted scenes that were just okay. But still, like I said, I think this is one of those films that once you're ready to go, like, okay, it does get at points a little on its high horse. But overall, it's pretty taut it's so and exciting fun. and yeah. watchable. This is better than I think maybe you thought, thought it was going to be. I, I agree with that. It still was that, especially because I had not heard of it at all walking into this movie. Yeah, I remember the only reason I had because they um and there was no press for this fucking thing, but they did screen it for press. They just did it on the same night that like there were two other screenings of much bigger films, okay. and, and this one was like way up at Lakeline Mall. Get a theatrical release. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it got it did not get treated appropriately then. Uh, next up, we're going all the way back to the year 1960 as Criterion puts out their release of the Fugitive Kind. Now look. Marlon Brando is unquestionably one of the greatest actors there's ever been, right? The guy pretty much invented modern film acting. Yes. Like, like there's so many... He's Im- literally important in the I, history I blame of him every time you hear a story of an actor being an asshole on set, <laughs> and it's because they were method. People were actors, assholes on set way before Marlon I, Brando I know. came along. I know. I know that. <laughs> but... Uh, I will ask for anything that, that that's offered if Marlon Brando is in it, just to try and check it out, because he was in so much stuff. This adaptation of the Tennessee Williams play, Orpheus Descending, is not generally considered to be one of the strongest pieces of Marlon Brando's uh, filmic career. 
And it's a shame because there is good stuff going on here. And both he and his co-star, Anne Magnani, are delivering tremendous performances, just not with each other. It's... I've occasionally used the phrase, it's all sound and fury signifying nothing, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is overreaching a bit for this movie. But, like, this was a case of a bunch of amazing performances that didn't have a movie to tie them together. Mm -hmm. So, like, almost every actor in this knocks it out of the park, and it's almost worth watching just to watch the actors, like, just come in on their A-game and get you involved. But the movie is so slight and so small that at the end of it, I was just like, what was the point yeah, of it, all of this? It, it acts as if it means a whole lot. And it, ultimately, I'm like, well, what, what did it yeah, mean? It, it, so, like, the movie, he is... He's basically Nick, Nick Cage from Wild at Heart if he had never met Laura Dern. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> with, his, <laughs> with his trademark snakeskin jacket, which is yeah. indeed a sign of his uniqueness and belief in personal identity there you go. or whatever. I don't know that I can sum it up better than you just did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a drifter. He plays the guitar. He's in. He's had to leave in New Orleans because cops are like, "Look, you can stay here and go to jail, or you can leave." He's like, yeah, oh, I'm leaving because he exists, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he gets a work at a five and dime store. Uh, a, a very bitter older woman uh, named Lady, Lady Torrance, played by the legendary Italian actor Anna Mangani, who, Magnani, who was in many, many huge European films, but was largely unknown in in I America. Think she was in Amer- yeah, but who's known for New being, despite being not a, a great beauty or anything, she's known for just her performance being yeah. that strong that everybody in the world wanted her in their films. Rome, Open City, that's what I've seen her in. But she. They were like, okay, let's put these two together in a thing that initially seems like she isn't even vaguely going to be the love interest. It looks like it's going to be uh, uh, Joanne Woodward, who plays kind of a crazy drunk girl well, that she, seems like the right person to hook up with it, Marlon Brando. And, and that's where the movie, that's the closest this movie got to actually like really pulling me into the story. Mm-hmm. Because it feels for a bit like that character is going to be this stand-in for, you know what, they think that I am a terrible human being, so fuck it, I'm going to be a terrible human being. Mm. Because if that's all they expect from me, why not give it to them and have fun? Yeah. And like, I really thought that that's where they were going to go with the story. And instead, it, it kind of drifts into the double indemnity without the actual murder plot. Yeah. And yeah. So... It just, it's just, it turns into like, it's sort of Southern Gothic, but there's not much of a plot to support and, and it. And then it kind so. of ends. You know what this feel? It felt a lot like that... Uh, that 50s-esque movie that was made in the 80s with Willem Dafoe that was made by Catherine Bigelow that you made me watch. That had I've made you watch a lot of movies. Yeah, I know. But, but it was just very slice of life, very much just about this time period. It didn't really have a story. Stuff just kind of happened. <laughs> Only this one had better acting. <laughs> I mean, once again, like I said, there's no criticizing the acting except that... It seems like I get that I don't know, but it damn sure seems like the the two leads did not like each other, yeah. like in real life, and because they are just not collaborating at all on screen. They're coming from two completely different acting worlds, and they just they there's no sparks here at all. Like uh, I mean, they're colliding, but they're not sending off any chemistry sparks. Uh, 
It's a shame because it seems like everything is in the place to be another Mar- uh, Brando classic, but it just isn't. Uh, no. Sidney Lumet directed this, and one of the extras is there's an archival interview with him talking specifically about uh, this film as well as other Tennessee Williams uh, plays. There's Hollywood's Tennessee and the Fugitive Kind, another archival program, with scholar Robert Bray and film historian R. Bart- Barton Palmer, who co-wrote the book Hollywood's Tennessee, who talk about various adaptations of Tennessee Williams' works. Uh, and then in 1958, apparently Sidney Lumet directed three one-act plays by Tennessee Williams. Um, and these are act for the Craft Television Theater Series. That program with Ben Gazzara, Lee Grant, Thomas Chalmers, Gene Sachs, and an introduction by Tennessee Williams himself is presented here. And there's also a 20-page illustrated booklet. So it's a solid criterion pack, as usual. Yeah. Just not for one of the more essential movies. Not at all. Uh, next, we have Museo, which is Spanish for museum. And this was a, a little indie, uh, kind of, sort of, heist movie that was com- uh, competed at the Berlin uh, International Film Festival for the Golden Bear and won a Silver Bear for Best Screenplay. I was so this say, is, I, I bet it did very well. This, this is, is this is a film festival uh, sure. movie, if there ever And this is one. why I asked for it. I was like, okay, that and I really like Gail Garcia Bernal quite a bit. I think he's one of those actors who's just very fluid and can play all different types of parts. Uh, he and another guy are students. <laughs> no. <laughs> they are though I'm just saying come on dude you're like 40 something now <laughs> so I, he is one of those guys who still looks like 15 years yeah, younger he than he is but even then uh, but they want to rob the National Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City and steal a whole bunch of very rare priceless Mayan mixed mix, uh, mixed tech and Zapotec artifacts so then this is on Christmas Day they pull it off come home only to discover that uh, everyone in the world, including their own family, thinks they're the most despicable humans who've ever lived because, of, like, you know, not knowing it's them, yeah. but whoever did this is just and, the and worst kind of scum. In the first 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> right. And they find themselves in a position where they're like, what are we going to do? Because literally even people who are like, you know, criminal lord, drug, like criminal organizations are like, Dude, I'm not going to buy that fucking shit from you. Oh. Or, or like, look, you can't sell this stuff. That was no the one... best scene in the movie was yeah. when they go and try to sell it to an actual fence. And he's just like, you need to get on a plane and leave and hide because you can never sell these and your lives are over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you fucked up, dude. <laughs> and that sounds really interesting. What you have is kind of a slow moving piece. Yeah. So like, I thought this was a... This is a very well shot, edited, and scored movie about characters I could not care less about. I will be down for anything else the, the filmmakers behind the scenes uh, do next because I think that they are truly talented and there were some really wonderful sequences. However, I despised Get Gout. Gail Garcia Bernal? Yes, I despise his character. You're supposed he, to, kind he, of. He is this. He's a guy who might have Asperger's. He doesn't really get how people react well to each other. His response to everything is with aggression and hostility. If if he were an American, he would be on his way towards being an incel in short order. <laughs> and 
I just man, Aaron sure loves shitting on incels. I, I never could get into his character, and, <laughs> and like it pushed me away. He is, every he's chance. playing a character who's a terrible person, yeah. and and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. If a movie is to some degree a person either realizing that they're a terrible person or having a redemption for being a terrible person, becoming a better person, yeah. and here there's a, there's even when he kind of realizes what what he's done is bad, he doesn't really care. Well, he 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 does have a couple of he does have a good act. And he kind of pulls it out plot wise, but yeah, you never get that he cares. It's just like I guess this is what I should do now. Although weirdly, he's in the, the he's like one of the I think the best sequence in this movie has almost nothing to do with the rest of the film, which is where he's in a club in Mexico City and finds a stripper that apparently was the star of this obscure yeah. porn film series that he was a big fan of. Cause I guess porn is not on the oh, internet in Spain. Uh, and, but she's working as a stripper and he gets in a fight with somebody for basically talking smack to her. Uh, and she's like, kid, you're stupid, but, but thanks anyway. It's yeah. nice to think that someone cares. And he ends up having sex with her on the beach. And it's actually kind of a nice sequence that I'm like, you know what? I feel like I would have watched a movie that started with this yeah. and what happens next. You know what? I, I agree with that. I would be down for that. He, he needed to have a journey a lot more uh, outspoken than it was. Yeah. Like it was, as but it was, it was just rough. It was just okay. And this was admittedly the movie I watched last night too, so I'm yeah. still bitter about it. <laughs> uh, there's five deleted scenes, eight page booklet. Um, it, I don't think this is essential. If you're one of those people who has something like, you know, one of the various streaming networks that likes to run more indie type stuff like film movement or something, this will probably show up on one of those, but, and it's, I think it's worth watching. Uh, yeah. it's just hard to okay. essential. It's okay. Uh, going to, uh, arrows, uh, arrow Academy, when they tend to release much older, much, much older films in the, uh, with the pretension of saying, look, it's an educational experience. You know, my favorite thing about the way arrow presents their stuff so Arrow gives it to us in these like clear jewel cases. There's no cover. There's no there's yeah, no details. We get the, what they call the white disc. Yes, and yeah. you also don't know that it's Arrow Academy. And so every time I'm like, it's Arrow. It's like some fucked up grotesque horror, and I stick it in my player. And it's called Black Angel. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like a de- oh no, it's a black and white noir movie from the 30s. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay, reframing my expectations. Yeah. A lot of times you don't. I don't either. I'll be looking at them like, okay, it's called whatever. It could be an old black and white noir film. It could be like one of the worst slasher films you've ever seen yep. from 1983 or something. Yep. You know, I legitimately know. thought this was I Come in Peace being re-released for a while because <laughs> that's released under Dark Angel. Right, right, right. Uh, yep. No, but this is not. Anyways. Fact. This is... Uh, a, a old noir film directed by Roy William Neal, who made over a hundred films as a director. Holy crap! Yeah, Go this him. this was apparently uh, also I think much later in his career. He did quite a few of the Sherlock Holmes films with Basil Rathbone, which are considered the high point of the Sherlock Holmes movies. Uh, or and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, amongst many other things. But he uh, made this movie, which is an odd little noir. Um, it's I, it's not. It does some things that are definitely goes against the standard noir tropes, but it still at the same time never exactly surprises. Well, you. It, it also it does that thing that a lot of movies of this era do, where you never know who the main character is going to be, because the movie spends the first five or ten minutes with the person who ends up being the victim, then they spend the next five or ten minutes with the person who ends up being uh, framed for her murder, and it's not until almost half an hour into this movie 
then it actually starts following the main character of the movie, which is the wife of the man accused of murdering a lounge singer. Is she the main character, though? Sort of. Because I think, I feel like Dan Duryea, who is the guy who's like, Helping so, the wife. So, so there's her, kinda... and then there's the lounge singer's ex-husband, and who is a ridiculous drunk who had a horrible breakup with her. Like literally, the first thing you see in the movie is her telling the doorman not to let him up. Right. And so the two of them are convinced that her husband is innocent, and they are going to prove it. And uh, her husband, by the way, at this point is convicted. And already sentenced to death, and they know the date. They're fighting so, against time. Yeah, so they have like a week to solve this murder, and that's kind of the story of the movie. Is well, they go and check this out. That, they're leads, determined and, this one guy who's a local criminal, who's a nightclub owner, played by Peter Lorre. Yeah, you know, who's, which I was. Oh yeah, Peter Lorre uh, is the guy, and they've really got to good figure out his... how to take advantage of him. Which in this particular case involves <laughs> taking jobs at his nightclub, her as a singer, and him as as the piano player, while they wait for the right moment to break into his safe and steal what they think is going to be where they they think they're going to find this uh, basically telltale evidence like smoking guns if you will uh it's okay. I, I honestly, very early into this film, I called where w- what its big twist was going to be. And it's weird because it's not a normal twist. It's not a tropey thing where I'm like, oh, you see this all the time. I'll admit, I, I did not. Okay. Uh, the twist kind of surprised me, but only because it was it was so out of left field and out of character with the way they were going that it didn't feel natural. I cracked up laughing when they revealed the twists and I was like, Oh, so maybe like they're going to do all these inter No, 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 no. They're, they're going to just, okay, cool. This guy just realized this thing and we're going to go with this story now. Mm. Okay. I guess this is the movie we're going to watch. This is, and I was not interested in the last 15 minutes no? of the movie at all because okay. of that. I actually really like the idea, the idea of it. I, like I said, for me, I thought it was very telegraphed what it was going to end up being. But I think you could do this in a modern way, like a remake of this, where you'd have to change a lot of it, certainly, but where the basic thing where that's the twist could really sell. You know what it would what would have worked for this twist is if once that happens, everyone didn't just go, well, sure, I guess that happened, so let's fix this. Right. If there was some tension at all in that last bit, I would have liked it. <laughs> Uh, there's an audio commentary uh, here by an uh, uh, Alan K. Rowe, <coughs> who apparently is um, uh, just a film historian. Uh, there's a fitting end, a appreciation of the film uh, by another critic for 20 minutes, an original trailer, image gallery, uh, insert booklet. It's not a lot. Generally, Arrow Academy ones don't have a shit ton of like uh, yeah. extra features. It's they always have something, but these things are like usually uh, nine times out of ten Arrow Academy releases are very old and almost almost no one involved is still alive. Yeah. So what are you going to do? There's only so much you can do when the movie is 80 years old. Very true. Uh, there's a lot more they could have done with the Battle of Jangsari, a South Korean uh, war film that sells itself to American audiences by a bunch of inserted sequences that literally you can tell. Like, there's, the, I'm, I'm positive there's a Korean version of this that does not include those scenes you know? okay. at all. So... It's it's like Raymond Burr sure. in Godzilla. I, I I that's what I thought for two thirds of this movie up until the credits. Mm-hmm. So actually the whole movie, uh, where the in the credits they thank the actual female journalists mm-hmm. who Megan Fox was a combination of. Yeah, and like 
So maybe this was in there from the get go. But you're right. So basically, or maybe the, the South Koreans are just huge Megan Fox fans. So I don't basically, know. what this is about is this is during the Korean War when North Korea has basically Korea Korea has basically just demolished South Korea mm-hmm. and has fought them all the way back to <coughs> they are now in siege mode trying to survive. And the Allied forces are about to invade, and a group of 700-and-something students volunteered to attack James Sari. And I'm sorry for anyone out there for how I'm pronouncing In, in a very name. sort of Normandy it, beach yeah. type and of situation. So it, and right from the get-go, this attack is basically, nobody gives a shit about them. They have very little support. It is a, acknowledged through the Megan Fox storyline, that it is a suicide mission. Yeah. And so the movie follows two plots. One, which is the Korean students going through... Actually, I'm going to get back to that. One follows the Korean students, and one follows Megan Fox and a general as they basically argue about the ethics of supporting or not supporting these Korean volunteers. Yeah. Uh, So... I actually really liked the Korean part of the story uh, overall. It's nothing wildly original. It cops a lot from Saving Private Ryan, um, especially the opening, which is definitely this this director's version of the the D Day scene yeah. from that oh, movie. Big time. Um, but you know, it is based on true events. This this really did happen. Um, the they thought they both <laughs> were like, look, this is a last ditch, desperate attempt, or we're going to have to pull out of even more huge areas and let the North take over there. No one thought it would work. It worked, and yeah. they were like, holy shit, it worked. So, like, uh, and uh, you know, of course, almost everyone still died, but hey, you know, and it's got that you know the thing with the guy who's like doesn't get along with the other guys in the troop, but then eventually they learn to respect each other. Uh, this is. Know. It is paint by the numbers war film. I was actually having an ongoing discussion with my wife through this whole movie about if American war films feel like this to foreigners who aren't in the country because the movie is so very patriotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that that was my biggest problem with the movie is that instead of being a war film, like explicitly just a war film, this was a war film where we were meant to feel honored by the sacrifice these guys made like like that was the emotion that the filmmakers were trying to put into it so whenever there's an action scene it's not really shot for thrilling action it's shot so that we can watch these guys go through a meat grinder right there's lots of them just running through an open field and getting just fucking mowed down by machine guns and bombs and it it told the story it wanted to tell it was really stressful and tense but like it just took too much out of me like uh, I, I wish the movie had been more of a it hadn't been so much in the let's honor the glorious dead I, I wish it had told the story it wanted to tell instead I mean and then my only real problem with this is that all the sequences with uh, Megan Fox who's basically just sitting there and lecturing the actor um, George Eads who's best known for on the, being from the show CSI but you'll recognize him he's yeah. one of those TV well, actors he, who's the, been in a show there are two of white people in the movie you'll figure out who's who yeah <laughs> 
uh, they're it's just stilted and unnecessary and feels absolutely tacked on. I doubt they were ever in the same room as a actual well, person that, of Asian uh, descent. I liked Megan Fox. I actually like Megan Fox. I used to. I don't dislike but her, but she, she certainly doesn't have any not range. good in this movie. No. These actors do not do a good job no. here. They I, did not have the time. Every to time they go back to that, I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sakes, just keep your focus on the goddamn soldiers. Yeah. There's no reason to go there at all, and it's a, it's a really kind of a shame. I think this would have been received much better without those scenes. I agree. It, it would have been a better war movie without the white people. Uh, next up is The Wave. Now, this is an odd little festive, certainly, definitely came out at festivals type movie with uh, Justin Long playing a guy who is, he works for an insurance company. He's kind of a douchebag, but he's not like a wild douchebag. He, he is, he is, I gotta get flack for this, but he feels like your average American. Uh, he's a little bit selfish. He just wants to do his job. He is up to his eyeballs in debt and has a kind of relatively honest, dysfunctional marriage. Yeah. That I actually, I was impressed with how they portrayed that. I mean, it's kind of hyperbolic too. In the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning. Yeah. Um, like I, I bought into his character quite a bit in the beginning. You're going okay. So he works at an insurance company. He has this opportunity to completely fuck over the family of a dead fireman. Which yeah. right off the bat, you're like, dude, who does that and lives with themselves, right? But he's got no problem because he knows this is the one. It's literally going to save his company millions, and he's going to get a huge promotion he's because doing of it. His job, but uh, his buddy, who is. Uh, <laughs> I, I forget his name, but the, the, the actor who was uh, O'Donnell uh, Faison from yeah. Scrubs is like, no, we are going out partying. You are coming with me. And reluctantly, in last minute, he agrees to actually go with Which, him. Which, can I just say, is a terrible fucking idea to go get shit-faced on a Tuesday night when you have a presentation with the CEO at 9 a.m.? Yes. Very bad <laughs> idea. But they go to a strip club, and there they immediately meet some two girls. And it's clear right off the bat that Justin Long's like... I don't give a shit. If I get a chance, I'm going to fuck this girl. Yeah. And I'm, like right, right there. I'm like, man, I do not like this guy even more than before. Yeah. I was like, I just don't give me something to like about this guy. And it is a film that to some extent ends up being about the redemption of an asshole. Um, but, uh, what ends up happening is they go to a party that one of the girls has heard about Tommy Flanagan from, uh, uh, hell, not hell on wheels. What's it called? Uh, I don't know. The, the Are you talking motorcycle about motorcycle show? Uh, the Sons of Anarchy. The Sons of Anarchy, thank you, is there, and he's a drug dealer, and he's like, look, y'all should do this drug, uh, and they end up doing it, and it turns out that, like, it its effect is essentially a time-altering effect, oh, where it, literally Justin Long discovers that he can flip back and forth through time, <coughs> but he can't change anything that's already happened. Well, it, it because it's not very long before you start to realize this movie really isn't about a guy dealing with being high it's about a guy who is interacting with fate and is trying to find his way through an experience where the universe is trying to teach him something right and that part of the movie i actually really dug agreed the the problem i had with it was that it, it never really leaned into that 
yeah, you're dealing with the very concept of the universe now, and it's telling you that you need to change your life. It spends too much of its running time going, ha ha, look at how fucked up your life is now. Your life is destroyed. Well, it does a lot of, look how madcap we are. Yeah. And psychedelic. And I like it. It's well done. It is. But I think a movie that is this much of a, a sort of moral lesson film that it wants to be has to get that part exactly right in order to stick the landing. And my biggest complaint here is it absolutely does not stick the landing. No. Which is a shame because I was invested by the point up until then. But I think it... I mean, it's essentially a time travel film to some extent. Um, I mean, it's there because he does figure out the system and how to intentionally go from one time to another at one point. I mean, it's a lot of it is him just, how does this thing work? Um so I would call it a time travel movie. I guess um, it's like time travel by drug, but one which anything he does, he he can add to a situation, but he can't change anything that's already he's already done. Yeah, it. it I just I wanted more. Uh, yeah, hope. it's about fate and about karma and things like that. And at the end, I was like, "Wow, that was kind of grim." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was yeah, like, and like it feels like he decided he he decides to become a better person, but he doesn't actually do the work to become a better person. He just is like, "Well, I guess I'm going to do the right thing now." It's kind a fil- of thing. It's a film that is fun to watch. Is very entertainingly shot. Has uh, I think Justin Long is giving it his all, although this role is not up his alley. Really, no. he's weirdly cast for this part. Although, I, I mean, honestly, I'm just happy to see Justin Long. Yeah, he's I love one of those Justin guys Long. who I wish had a more robust career. Yeah, it's, and and it, I would be in for something this director did. Yeah, or and by a different writer. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually don't mind the writing either. I think this was just. It needed a, a third act fix, and, yeah. and it just never got it. But overall, it's not bad. Uh, there's a commentary from the director and writer. There's a minute 16 of animatics, which to- take a look between pre-production planning and what the final edit looks like in the, the big open, opening scene. There's a four-minute gag reel, which is kind of funny. Uh, VFX breakdown. Uh, there's a, a look uh, that looks at the different attempts to do the, the car accident scene in the film, which is a big uh, centerpiece. Yeah. Uh, it's it's fine. It's just, you know, it's not as essential. And it's funny, even at, I remember this played Fantastic Fest, people were kind of, like, they were really thinking this was going to be the hit of the festival, and then when it wasn't, they were all, they all got super self-depreciating about yeah. it, and I thought that was kind of funny. Um, Get Gone is our next film, a movie that <laughs> clearly someone thought was going to be a big thing. I mean... Did you realize that the two, because this is one of those rednecks who kill people out in the woods movies, yet another one. The two brothers are are Nicolas Cage's nephews. No, I didn't. They're not. both Coppola's. You're like, what? Why? I got to be honest with you. So this movie lost me in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, so basically what the movie, let's go into the plot a little bit. As Such it, as it is. As it was. Yeah. Um, it's about a group of people who investigate, I guess, haunted locations on YouTube, and then they film reenactments. I was very the, confused about of what their the job haunted was as well. stuff that happens to prove that it could have been faked, which is such a niche thing. But, anyways, they go in to investigate a series of disappearances, and a couple of people who are literally called the White Boys. Because it's a family who's lived in this area eating food that's tainted, and so they're albinos. So there is a whole lot of questionable treatment of albino citizens in this movie. (laughs) So yay! But um, they decide to go on a tour and 
find these people to investigate and prove that it's all a hoax, I guess. And lo and behold, the people they're investigating are, in fact, rednecks who've been living on this property and are homicidal murderers who kill everyone and anything that comes under their territory. Led by uh, the legendary Scream Queen, uh, uh, Lynn Shay. The only good actress in the movie. Who I'm like, why are you slumming it with yeah. this movie? I like, know you can get better parts it, It's always fun. Like, it was great when her scenes showed up because she's the only one who and you mentioned this earlier in the last episode about how you can watch these independent movies and they don't quite know how to write and direct a scene where the actors don't sound like they're reading lines Mm -hmm. she's the only actor in the movie who doesn't sound like she's reading lines yep but the the people go to investigate them lo and behold the rednecks come to kill and what follows is a relatively bog standard slasher film after that so the opening shot in this movie is them reenacting this thing, uh, this previous event, and then just kind of fucking off and doing their own thing, this group of people. And the opening itself is shot and edited so poorly. Uh, there's no ancillary sound. The music is bad. If there is any, the dialogue is bad. They're in a fucking hallway, and I didn't understand the geography. Yeah. And, like, just instantly I was like, oh, this is just a shit movie. Like, right from the get-go. Man, I don't even know And it never got better from it's that. Bad. It has barely any gore. So if you're yeah. into it for that oh, yeah. sort of thing, that's the, not here. The kills are Without exception, off camera. Yeah, the, and, and, and I don't and mean dull. like not that. I mean like you see somebody like stabbing to the, to frame right. Yeah, and that's supposed to be someone getting. Stabbed. I don't know who thought this was a good idea. No, this it's is a, terrible. And obviously, like uh, I, I don't know. Somebody obviously oh. is like uh, I, I don't know if the director is is, is a Coppola's like godson or something. Like, oh. give me some money to make my movie. No, no. And the, the the final nail in the coffin. Clearly, the production designer is an anime fan because the redneck psycho killer has a mask that I swear to God is straight out of like Death Note, which is not like anime is not explicitly bad in its own, but it just makes no sense why they would have this mask either. It's it's on the cover. It's bad. It's it's bad. Skip it. Just don't watch this movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's bad, bad, bad. Bad movie. It has Bad. no redeeming values, except uh, for Lin Shay. So, we'll talk about a movie that we disagree on next, which is getting a 4K release in a steelbook, which right now is the only way they're releasing the 4K, which is odd. That That's is not odd. normal. I know you, what you're going for now, too. Uh, which is Shutter Island. Yep. Now, this is a Martin Scorsese film that I have not seen since it originally came out in Me 2010. Um, it is based on a book... Uh, by why am I not saying book by Dennis Lehane? Yeah, Dennis Lehane, who has done a lot of films that yeah. were, like been involved in a lot of film productions of his books. I and think I'm Gone a big, Girl was one of his. Yeah. Is uh, Mr. Not, Gone, not Gone Girl. Um, not Gone Girl. Uh, it's not another one like that sounds like that. Are you sure? Yeah, Gone Girl was no, his. No, 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 no. Well, I know he else. did Mystic River. Yeah, he did Mystic River. Uh, God damn it! What is the name of the other one I'm thinking of? Um, wait, I'll find out right now because it's another big movie. It's and it's got uh, uh, fuck, what was it? I'm sorry. I know it's so exciting. Oh, Gone Baby Gone. Oh, the, yeah. Wait. Oh shit. That's that's what I meant when I said Gone Girl. Yeah, I knew it had Gone <laughs> in the title. I just couldn't remember what it was. The, the one with Ben Affleck. Anyway, so this no, is Casey Scorsese Affleck. directing Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, who obviously Leo is one of those guys who's like, there's a lot of legendary directors who are like, I'll work with Leo anytime. That's because Leo is one of the best working actors today. Yeah, but it's funny, man. Very few actors, even of his caliber 
get that much mad respect yeah. from multiple different big directors. Anyway, so he plays 1954. He plays U.S. Marshal along with uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo. They're on their way to the hospital for a hospital for the criminally insane on said Shutter Island in Boston Harbor, and it's a terrible time to visit. They're on the ferry. There's a storm that's supposed to be, you know, one of those storm of the century type storms whipping up. Apparently, a patient has disappeared named Rachel, uh, who was put there for drowning, murdering her three children. Uh, they find a cryptic note in her room, but it's their only clue. The staff is all acting very weird towards them the whole time, if not outright confrontational, with the exception of <coughs> Ben Kingsley, who's the head doctor, but is still kind of weird yeah, and evasive. It's, all, it's very much instantly you can tell that things are weird, and not just in the things are creepy, but like things are not right yeah, at all. But not just at the hospital, as Leo eventually uh, also reveals to his partner as well that he has another reason for being on this island altogether, which connects back to his own personal past in World War II and yep. the concentration, and freeing what, the concentration camps. And what happened to his wife as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of layers going on here. Uh, every, I mean, one of the film's big criticisms <laughs> by, from everyone, including myself, was the trailer pretty much gave away the twist completely. Yeah, and... and- when I saw this in theaters, I did not like it exclusively because five minutes into the movie, I was like, oh, what I thought happened in the trailers is clearly happening. I know how this movie ends. I do not like it. And that doesn't bother me at all if the movie is still very good. Sure. And here's the thing. And Scorsese has talked about this since. He's like, I really wanted people to be able to figure out for themselves early on what the twist was. The movie, this is a twist movie that's not about you being surprised by the twist. Uh, it is about the sad state of the mental health system. <laughs> okay, sure. And I think when you look at it from the angle of this is a guy that's not trying to hide anything from you at all. <coughs> You're really trying to watch how the film itself plays out in the context. Like, for me, watching this a second time, knowing what the twist is and watching the character in what we know about him now is so much more interesting than watching it the first time where, you know, you're wondering, is this going to be it? Is this going to be it? And I then guess it, it would like, nice if someone is. told the script right <laughs> I But for, right. Me, for me, it absolutely works. Now, I think if there's a problem... Everybody is overplaying their hand with the thick B-movie noirish vibe of it. I mean, like, way overplaying their hand to the point where I thought this whole thing was going to end up being they were trapped in a VR computer game or something. So, <laughs> I'm going to attempt to tell you my rather intense problems with this movie without spoiling it. Which, watch the trailer, you'll get spoiled. But still, I'm not going to do that here. So, Chris is right. The actors are amazing. Uh, Scorsese, he makes a fucking movie with this. He shoots the shit out of it, and he does a great job. It is enthralling, it is beautiful, it pulls you in. The problem I have with this movie, it, it all boils down to the twist, because as, as much as... Basically, the twist ends up being the thing that we build to with the movie. So, like, when you watch other movies that have this kind of a twist, you have two different camps. There's ones where the twist happens and there's, like, 20, 30 minutes of movie left. And a lot of that ends up being about them dealing with the realization of what the twist was. I like a lot of movies that do that that I'm not going to tell you what they are because it will give away the twist. The other kind of movie end on the twist. And it's a gotcha. 
And that's the problem I have with this movie is that the twist ends up coming at the very end. And, and when it roils out, it is a beautiful, painful, hard to watch scene that brought me to tears. It worked. But as a actual whole film, it's still, we spend two hours and 20 minutes caring about one thing that doesn't matter and then being told at the end like yeah that's cool but no this other thing is what really was going on the whole time and oops and so it it just ends up being completely unsatisfying I, i don't think it works at all i think scorsese shot a great movie i think everybody did a great job except the scriptwriter. I think the structure of this is just garbage. It drives me crazy. Oh, up to agree to disagree. So. <laughs> uh, this is now, as I said, available in 4K. I will say this. Man, was the 4K transfer for this gorgeous. It was such a fantastic upgrade that I was just like, felt like, I felt like, was this in 60 FPS? Because there's that point, like, it's so crystal clear and perfect that I was like, there's no way. They, well, didn't, they didn't even do that back then. But it's just icily perfect i'll be honest i would rewatch this in in 4k if only because scorsese does a lot of visual trickery in this movie Mm -hmm. uh with the lighting and the speed of the film that it works yeah and And even even it's a really surreal even reverse uh like backwards filming that he uses very subtly at points like there's a scene where you can only tell because leo's cigarette smoke is going back into the cigarette but it's like this little takes you a second and realize it's happening it's happening this is so there's a phrase that i'm going to continue to use because it it applies to like two or three different titles in this set but this was a I think this is a bad story well told. And, uh, you know, like, it's a familiar story well told. We know where it's going to go. Scorsese does such a great job. I just wish it had been a better story. We get it, Aaron. Yeah, I'm not done. It's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're wrong, Chris. Moving on to a new release, Countdown. Here's one they definitely did not screen for press. And that's because it's a kind of mediocre horror film that has some thrills and chills and decent stuff in it, but it's certainly nothing you haven't seen before, especially if you've watched any of the Final Destination films. Thank you. Because this is basically them saying, how can we do another Final Destination movie without it being having the rights to Final Destination? And let me tell you, the gimmick here is nowhere near as interestingly played out as the Final Destination gimmick is. The 30-second version of the movie is that there is an app that tells you when you're going to die and you have to sign up for terms and conditions apparently and most people you know they're going to die in 30 years and big whoop cool they laugh and they're done but occasionally people look and lo and behold they're going to die in like a day yeah or 20 minutes or 20 (laughs) minutes and how do you react to that um and so the the movie ends up being this what well i just want to say to continue that that part of it if you change what you would have done anyway like you're like well fuck i was gonna go to this party but now i'm not you'll get a you have defied the user you've broken the user agreement and then this grim reapery looking motherfucker comes for you to kill you and unfortunately nowhere near as interesting ways as that the lovely rube goldberg effect that they use in the final destination films The, the one thing that i think this movie did really well i think the director and the editor did a great job of selling the creep uh, the actual scenes where shit starts to go down, I was legitimately creeped out and scared a few times. The okay. the combination of the filmmaking and the music worked for me. However, the story itself is just so silly, and that they keep they treat it like this is a ghost film, like mm-hmm. this is a J horror remake. But 
if you take a step back and go like, no, no, this is Final Destination. You're dealing with death. You know, this was your time. You just knew about it kind of thing. The movie ends up being really silly because they're going through these extreme efforts. And I'm like, no, you're you're not going to live. It's it's your time. You're, you're, you're just going to die differently now. There's a moment they do a thing that is the type of thing that people yell at the screen for people to do. And it seems to work for a while. And I was yeah. like, oh... Well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I was like, well, that was interesting. Uh, and then the movie ends with a, it's the standard horror movie. Ha ha ha. You thought you escaped, but you didn't. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's, it's not a ghost. It's, it's death, man. It's just your time. Yeah. Go with Except God. That's the thing for me is in the Final Destination films, it is indeed not even a anthropomorphized death. It is just the universe. It's yeah. going, no, you were, the universe self-corrects. This is an automated system. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. Here, it's basically sinister. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a demon that you've never heard of. I, I made it halfway through this movie and I found myself really wanting them to have just made this a Final Destination, like, reboot, but and not thi- told anyone but like about said, it. That's the worst thing about it, is that the Final Destination films, their finest moment is always the fact that the kills are elaborate Rube Goldberg machines. Fair. They're fun as shit to watch play out. Here, when he kills someone, it's just by the book, by the numbers, yeah, just slasher movie type thing, except sometimes the guy, whoever's doing it is invisible. Yeah. You're like, okay, whatever. Um... I, I did say I really like the lead actress here, Elizabeth Dean Law, who's best known for, for playing the lead character Guinevere Beck in the show You in the first season, not in the second. Uh, and I think she's terrific in this. In fact, I think most of the actors he, acting here is pretty reasonably solid. There is a, a priest who's obsessed with death and demons who shows up as kind of like the tech guy, although he does disappear yeah, it's, randomly. It's uh, comedian PJ yeah, Byrne. And he does a great job. He's been... He's been cropping up and stuff lately, and I've enjoyed his presence. That's the thing is, this film has just enough little quirks to make it stand aside and high production value to make it go, okay, this is a watchable, it's like, not terrible, like, <coughs> horror film. It's just so blatantly knocking off so many better films. You know what this is? This is the horror equivalent of, if it's on some lazy Sunday, sure, I'll watch it, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. It would depend on what my other options were, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, but, and I'm sure this is going to get a sequel. Of course it is. But this is one... It, did it do well? Uh, I think it did. Ju- I mean, it's a horror film. It probably cost $8 million or some shit. Fair. You know? uh, next up, we have a film that with much higher expectations, and that was Terminator Dark Fate that did not perform as well as they had hoped either. No, this uh, is one of three movies that have come out in the last year that people fucking slept on, and it's aggravating. Um, It was definitely dis- uh, decidedly referred to by the studio, at least, as being a box office bomb, getting uh, $261 million total over a production budget of somewhere around $196 million, so that is not... Uh, that is not great. No. Uh, basically, to be even considered breaking even, it would have had to clear $450 million. Which, it, uh, I mean, literally, the studio pr- lost $130 million. And, this movie on this just, movie. Like, and that's a shame, because it, this isn't terrible. I think it's really good, actually. Like, I have some issues with it. Uh <laughs> It is, a, yet again, a remake of the first Terminator movie, mm-hmm. which every single Terminator except for Terminator Salvation is, unfortunately. But it also has the best action, in my opinion, of the entire franchise, uh, barring one action scene, which is too big, too fast, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think it's really notable for having a cast that, barring for uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's an exclusively female production on the good guy side. Like, all the main characters are women. And they are also... All the main characters are women, and they are dressed realistically without a single tit or ass shot in the whole movie. And there's a lot of Latino characters yeah. in here as well. Um, both the new sort of the new Sarah Connor, if you will, because the is Latino, and the setup is basically Sarah Con- Sarah Connor. She did she succeeded in shutting yeah, down it, Skynet it and Terminator Two. So she succeeded. She won. However, there were few, still a few Terminators walking around uh, who, despite their timeline no longer existing, this ain't back to the future. You don't descend, you just disappear when your timeline goes away if you've already traveled back in time. So she basically, one of the remaining Arnold models, shows up, k- kills a young Edward Furlong, John, and, John and Connor. In the first minute of the movie. In the first minute. So this isn't a spoiler. It happens right off the bat, which yeah. right off the bat, I was like, <coughs> guys, this is not making me feel great. Right, to do that. It feels like Aliens 3, you know, where you're like, let's start the movie by killing off screen two of the most beloved characters from the previous film. <laughs> I was yeah. like, ugh. But no one wanted to work with Edward Furlong. I was going to say, I, yeah. I was glad to get John Connor out of the picture. Yeah, but the idea being is that now, uh, in this, you know, Sarah Connor's still, she, like, she's still pissed off and angry because her son ended up dying, even if she prevented this future. <coughs> she's pretty bitter and angry. Um, but Skynet appears like it'll never happen, but, oh, here comes a new Terminator that's, like, basically the Robert Patrick Terminator, only with a robot, the robot actual physical body underneath the liquid metal. It's the Terminator and T3 done properly. Okay. Because it's that metal over, or liquid metal over real metal, but this one is scary as shit. Yeah, it's a Gabriel... This is the first time since the first Terminator, or no, since the second one, that I've actually been intimidated by a Terminator. It's Gabriel Luna playing it, uh, who's much more advanced than previous versions, uh, but and personality as well. Uh, and being sent back to stop them is is uh, Mackenzie Davis, who has come a soldier from the future, who herself has Terminator qualities. She well, Apparently they have upgrades in this new alternate future, where now it's not Skynet. That never happens. Instead, a different AI takes over called Legion, with slightly different which, things having happened. So I admit, I rolled my eyes at that at first. But, but I kind of like it. When I rewatched it, I realized that they have accidentally made a mission statement with this movie about that concept of anytime humanity develops AI, it is the inevitable conclusion that that AI will go, now we don't want you around. Right. And I kind of like that idea of the cyclical nature of AI. Yeah, you can humanity. stop that particular iteration of AI, but it's still going to happen yeah. down, the, down the line. It's like, 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 I can't stress enough that the action of this movie is truly fantastic it is intense and violent and brutal the terminator is a fucking locomotive just like marching forward and killing everything it needs to so let me say what my biggest problem with this movie okay uh so they of course have to have arnold schwarzenegger in this fucking thing and they're like how in the fuck are they gonna have arnold schwarzenegger in this thing so oh we're gonna disagree the terminator that killed actually ended up killing john connor was had no further instructions so he he retired he's like Met a lady, got a cabin in the woods. Oh, Chris. I was like, this is fucking stupid. Okay, Chris, you uh, are wrong. I'm sorry. No, I was no. like, this is dumb, and it does not work at all. Okay, so I, I don't know that this happens that often, where we just flat out disagree with yeah. something. So I think this is the single best Terminator arc out of the entire franchise. Ugh. The idea that he goes like, okay... 
I have no more purpose in life, so therefore I need to find a reason to exist as a Terminator. Uh-huh. And backsteps his way into having a life. I I thought was really interesting. Uh, my like, take was he probably would have just melted himself somewhere. No, uh, no I, th- this is the best Terminator storyline in the franchise. Wildly disagree. Not I hate movie, the, but the and actual even that with him arc. going. Oh, and so along the way of doing this, I also realized that maybe that was kind of a dick move, killing this lady's son. So I tried to help her, and I'll help her more. I was like, that's, no, I don't buy any of this. You're wrong. Don't buy any of it. It's one of the best parts of the movie. It's maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger's, like, top five performances. It's amazing. I think that aspect absolutely fails this movie. Uh, It's a shame because pretty much everything else here works really well. The action is fantastic and Mackenzie Davis is great and I love seeing um, uh, uh, Linda Hamilton again in, in, in this and I just, I mean, the the new Sarah Connor, Daniel Ramos played by Natalia Reyes, to be quite honest, they don't give her much to do except don't look around and go, well, what? Oh, oh actually, God! She, so she's the weakest part of the movie to me. No, she the, just the, doesn't there, have much to do. There's a sequence where they show her in the future being... Who she is, yeah, being John Connor, basically. and trying to like speechify, yeah, and she just she can't pull it off. She works elsewhere, but you're right, she hasn't that much to do. But that one scene was laughably bad. Yeah, it was like this it is the great. this is the only Terminator except for T two that brought me to tears. Like, wow, I, I legit felt that. I Terminator it did too died. when I started laughing. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? What happened to your soul? Dude, when did it die? I, I have one as opposed to a Terminator who wouldn't do those he things. He didn't have a soul. He admitted he didn't That's love. what I'm saying. He had feelings, He would though. have melted himself down. He wouldn't no. have gone, I'm going to go hook up with some chick. I'm, he no. He didn't hook up with her. They, they mm. did not have a physical relationship. Okay, they but called he's, that out, he's still He's still, <laughs> like, essentially the father in this. Sure. Why? What possible purpose would that serve? He was... I don't. I don't buy it for a second. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm not though. He, he developed a conscious over 20 years of existing on his own. Uh huh. Sure. It was beautiful and it made the, me cry. You're because, wrong. Because uh, what happens when you inevitably uh, 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 let AI exist? Oh wait, they decide humans are useless and should be killed every single time. So why would a single iteration of it go? You know what? People are pretty cool. Because I don't buy it. Because it's nice to be it. able to view a different stance on that. It's uh-huh. nice to have some hope. Mm, yes, but unrealistic. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there's a 4K and Blu-ray version of this that comes with uh, nine minutes of deleted and extended scenes that actually have some significant d- deleted sequences in it, like pretty big yeah. ones. Well, and, and you know what? Aside from the fact that you're clearly wrong, <laughs> like this almost was my pick of the week, even. Okay, calm down. But anyways, anyways, continue. Uh, there's a Legendary Forge, which looks at the series' whole timeline. Uh, it's about 20 minutes and James Cameron's involvement in this. Uh, World Builders for 32 Minutes, which takes a look at all the digital effects and shooting in Spain. Dam Busters, which is the the big final action set piece, a look at that. And a VFX breakdown, uh, The Dragonfly, which uh, takes a look at the future battle sequence that's in there. I mean, it's actually, the extras I was reasonably surprised with how good they actually were. Like I said, I think this is a pretty solid Terminator film overall. I think it ties with Terminator 3 as the third best film, but there's a real big drop-off after 2. Yeah. Uh, you well, know? The, this is the best Terminator to me since Terminator 2, well, yeah. which is not saying much because there's some really shitty ones, but uh, the way I put it, this is the first time since Terminator 2 that I've actually watched a Terminator movie, and when it ended, I went, you know, I kind of want them to make another one. But, but I'll tell you this, I'm... 
I am the only Terminator film I actively hate is Salvation. I think that is an utter unredeemable piece of shit. But even people talk so much shit about Genesis, and I was like, man, there's some goofy ass shit Genesis in here. It's not fantastic. Fun. It was bad, but, but I still enjoyed the shit out of watching it. I mean, like you guys get take all the you guys take your fandoms way too seriously. Like, let's be honest, we're not going to get another Terminator movie. Yeah, and not for a while. But and when we do, it'll probably be a complete reboot. Yeah, but but I I legitimately say if you like Terminator one and two, you need to go into this movie with an open eye. Ignore the fact that yes, John Connor does take a shotgun to the chest in the first 30 seconds of the movie and if you can move past that you are going to have a good time uh next up is motherless brooklyn now i reviewed this on highly suspect reviews i was i was on the review this this one uh it's written produced and directed by edward norton which has been a a a passion project for him since before the novel even came out in 1999 when uh by jonathan lethem when he was given an advanced copy and immediately declared i'm gonna make a movie of this which he has been developing literally all this time which is why it's a shame the movie's not better than it is. Yeah. It's still, I think, a, a very enjoyable modern film noir. But this, as much work as he's put into this fucking thing, I'm like, why isn't this like best picture type I material? thought this was an amazing character piece wrapped in a lackluster mystery that needs to be... That needs to lose 30 minutes. Yeah. No, I, I, don't, I don't disagree. I, I like a lot large portions of this film and large portions of what this film does. But easily could have cut 30 minutes out of the running and really should have. It needs to. It's definitely, I mean, this is a textbook case of someone getting too close to their own project and and too in love with their own project and can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah, and the plot like it is, it's in the 20s or 30s? 50s. 50s, there we go. Edward Norton is a guy who suffers from a couple of disorders. He has... Uh, well, it's Tourette's mainly. It's Tourette's, yeah. but, but it has, there's other aspects of it too, some physical twitches as well. That, that's, that's all Tourette's. I thought there was a, yeah. no, that's Tourette's. I have friends who have physical twitches and I thought it was separate from There are different Tourette's. types of Tourette's yeah. and he has like one of the more extreme yeah. types, but no, it definitely has comes so with physical twitches. He, he works as a private eye agency and his boss is murdered at the very beginning of the Played by movie. Bruce Willis. Played by Bruce Willis, who did a good job. As for, for the one he day he showed yeah. up, <laughs> for the for the five minutes of screen time he's in, um, but he's murdered, and Edward Norton wants to find out why he was murdered. And while investigating this story, he ends up pretending to be a newspaper journalist and kind of finding out that there are some shady things happening within the local civil government of New York, most specifically in relation to basically hurting black people and minorities and getting them out of New York and keeping them from being able to utilize the services while making life better for white people. Mm -hmm. And it gets, it's kind of Chinatown in that it starts off very small, but ends up in these very large conspiracies. And there's also kind of a plot where he is becoming sort of kind of romantically involved, at least from a, um, uh, friendship level with the son of one of the people, the, the daughter yeah, of yeah. one of the people played by Gugu Mbatha Raw, and everybody has a great job. Um, Alec Baldwin shows up as this laughably out loud villain who yeah. they they do this interesting thing of not showing his face for like the first hour of the movie. They shoot around him, and so you just feel his presence and the way he works with people, which mm. is really effective. And all this is to say, anything with the actors is great. The actors do a great performance. The entire relationship with the daughter 
could have been cut out of the movie and just kept to the crime stuff. Agreed. And it would have been a significantly better movie, at least one or two stars better. I, I As just, it is, Edward Norton is phenomenal. And he does a good enough job directing this movie that I would be interested in other stuff he directs. Not like John Turturro, where I was kind of put off. Yeah. But, like... It's still it's still okay. It's still half an hour too long. Yeah. And doesn't really know how to carry that through. It's a movie I genuinely enjoyed watching. I just don't know because of its length when I'm going to watch it again. Yeah. And it's, it's not it's, like, like... Like, you have three hour long movies. We're about to talk about one that's three hours that I'm going to watch a lot. Because it pulls me in enough that I can watch it in bits and pieces. This one, you're right. I liked it. I don't know that I'll ever watch it again because of that. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's a film that feels like it would have been so easy to fix what's wrong with this yeah. film. But Ed Norton is notoriously, not unpleasant, but difficult. difficult. And him being absolutely in charge of a project means he ain't listen, listening yeah. to no one's opinion. And I suspect that's what happened. I here, agree. Is that ego got in the way. Yeah. Uh, this comes with an audio commentary, which is a full-length commentary with Ed Norton flying all by himself. And to, I have not listened to it, but to all reports... He was super prepared for this and has just is just ready to talk <laughs> is a every single scene, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> there's a making of Ed Norton's methodical process for 10 minutes, uh, which is uh, goes into more detail about the development, production, and differences from the novel, which apparently, I've not read the book, but in our review, Marco, who had read the book, said it's literally almost entirely a, not in relation to the book. Like, the basic premise is there. Really? But nothing else. Huh. Like, it's a completely different story. Even a totally different time period. Really? Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, the novel, I believe, is modern day. So, that's okay. how different it is. Uh, and there's uh, four she- scenes, take about a little over five minutes of deleted scenes. We're going to finish this week off with both of our pick of the week, which <laughs> is the director's cut 4K Blu-ray set of Doctor Sleep, Yay. which, man, Aaron was so excited about. I was reading him on Facebook, and he'd seen this in the movie theater and already squeed, just squeed out completely on it. And now he's like watching. I got the director's cut literally the first minute it was available and started watching it the first minute I could. Yeah. And I'm so I'm going to just live tweet this whole fucking thing. So, like... Doctor Sleep, I, I'm not going to say that it is the best movie of the year. It is not. That is Parasite. Doctor Sleep is my absolute favorite movie of the year. Mike Flanagan is the master of making horror films that give you endearing characters that you have a deep connection to. And instead of just completely fucking them over, like some guys do, he makes you want them to be better people and to grow beyond the story you're telling. Mm. And so Dr. Sleep is the, uh, for what I understand, much lambasted sequel to uh, the shining. I haven't read the book. I I heard that people hated it. Yeah. And you know why? Because it's not the shining too. And that's why they didn't call it. The Shining, too. So it's a really different type of story it is. than The it, Shining. It follows Danny Torrance from The Shining dealing with the fact that his alcoholic father tried to murder his mother, and he, oh yeah, and he saw lots of ghosts, oh yeah, and he's also telepathic. Yeah. So super, super, super uncomfortably psychic. It is not at all surprising to find out that he becomes an alcoholic who drinks his way almost into an early grave and. The movie follows Danny Torrance for about the first third as he's just hitting rock bottom and eventually finds his way to a small town in probably Maine um, (laughs) and finds his way into a small community of people who also were alcoholics 
and starts working on his problems and basically finding the reason to live again. And he ends up becoming a nurse or, or, or a worker in a nursing home. And because of his telepathic abilities and a cat, he can he knows when people are going to die. And he basically goes and sits with them and has a conversation. Yeah, he with becomes them. what they and, call and, Dr. And sleep becomes Dr. Sleep. Yeah. And like, that's like the first third of the movie. And I was already sold by that part. I was weeping in theaters. I, I found the, for me. the whole, all the, the hospice scenes here were deeply touching. Yeah. And so while that's going on, there is the actual plot of the movie, which involves a, another girl who is, so powerful in The Shining, there are not words to describe how powerful she is. She is a god. And there are the bad guys, who they're going to be the make-or-break moment for the movie, I think, for you. Mm -hmm. uh, they're a collection of colorful vagabonds who have been alive since the time of the Romans. and they Some of them. Some of them. They are just shy of immortal. They're, they're vampires. And they basically hunt kids who have The Shining. Mm -hmm. And horrifyingly murder them the more painful the better and they take their essence and feed on it and it keeps them alive yeah they're and, they're, they're sadistic they're literally sadism vampires yeah. that instead of drinking blood drink ener psychic energy and i can't emphasize the colorful characters uh some of the people on our site got very annoyed by how weird and outlandish they are and my wife was giggling at their names when she imdb'd them because they're all like rose the hat and dan the fox yeah and but i i loved that aspect of it but they are hunting this girl who ends up having a kind of a connection of communication with uh, Danny Torrance, who's played by Ewan McGregor. And so they, Danny Torrance and this girl realize what these guys are doing and realize they have to stop them at the same time that these guys realize this girl exists and are hunting for them. So that's kind of the plot of the movie. It's a lot more about the emotion of the way of what the characters are feeling and dealing with. It's technically a sequel to The Shining, but it's really more of just this is what happened next in those people's lives and doesn't become a sequel to The Shining until the last 30 minutes. And even then, it, it's not really about The Shining at all. Yeah. It's just it, that is another wrinkle in the interesting world that this takes place in. Mm. And so I, I get that a lot of people have issues with some of the sillier concepts of it. But man, this movie fucking hit me right in the heart. I cried like three or four times in this. I think that there's a sequence with Rose the Hat, who is maybe my favorite villain of the last five or six years, played by Rebecca Ferguson, who goes on a walkabout into uh, ether space to try and find the girl. And it is the most visually impressive sequence I saw this year. It floored me hmm. uh, watching the way it visualized concepts like that. Like I, I love this movie. I It is my pick of the week. I adore every frame of it. I have watched this twice, and I will watch it four more times this year. This is up there with Knives Out for me. Uh, I am not as in love with this film as you are, but I do really, really like it a whole bunch. Um, I have read the book, and I remember going, "There's no one's ever going to confuse this for being as good as The Shining. But I love that it is completely its own thing, and it does evolve these characters' stories in an organic way, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, this film, I feel the same way. No one's ever going to confuse this for being as good as Kubrick's The Shining. It's not. But it's still a really good movie that finds its own path until it unfortunately finds the need to go in the third act and 
return to the Overlook and sequences that, yeah, they're cool looking and they're very fan servicey. And King chose to leave all of that out of his book. Flanagan, I think, kind of makes a mistake of including it here. And I'm sure there was no small amount of pressure to do it uh, for the film version. And I don't think it doesn't work or anything completely. It's okay. You know, but it definitely does nothing but remind me of how much more I like Kubrick's The Shining than I like Dr. Sleep. I still think, and that's still, it sounds like I'm really shitting on this film. I'm not, because I think this is a very strong film with, especially Ewan McGregor's character is incredibly well-developed and interesting. There's so many good things going on here, especially that sequence of that sort of gets into, like, how the... the, the astral the, travel. The, the, That's a, what it how is. How astral travel Shit. and things like that work. I couldn't think work. of the word until just now. That's really, really cool. There's constantly cool stuff going on in this movie. It is long. And if you get the director's cut, it's over 30 minutes longer. But I'll be honest, watching the director's cut, which I was super excited to do, I barely noticed the added stuff, except that everything felt a little better this time watching it. And I realized it's because they kind of rounded out the edges that were trimmed for time in theaters in ways that that hurt the theatrical release, where you're like, that felt a little too, like, unfinished. And there's just an extra couple lines of dialogue in many scenes in this film that end up making this 30 minutes. And some of those, as simple as, like, one line, are kind of essential for creating the atmosphere this film chooses to create for you. I don't think anyone's going to fall in love with the director's cut who didn't love the, the theatrical version. Agreed, but but I think you're if you are if you really love the theatrical version, you're going to love the director's cut even more yeah. for the little tweaks it does, uh, but constantly, to make it into that much better of a film. Oh, and I feel like since I basically just <laughs> masturbated this entire movie up and down, uh, I will agree with you. I My only issues with this movie fall in that third act. I don't actually have a problem with them going to the, to the Overlook Hotel. I thought the way they handled it and that sense of dread and that build up to kind of a siege is really good. My problem was that they ended up resolving the conflict with the, the nemesis group too fast like it feels like that should have been stretched out over the remaining 15 or so minutes that's after that movie Mm -hmm. or after that part but instead what they do is they resolve that plot line and then they move on to resolving kind of the shining aspect of it yeah and and i wish they had carried those two lock and step because when when it's ultimately done it's like oh oh I, i guess it's already Gone. We're just going to move it on. It does now. kind of have a feeling like, oh, well, we already found the way to wrap this movie up, but we decided to leave one bit of the other thing around so that we have an excuse to bring you back to the Overlook, even though it feels like, well, why don't you just do that shit you did before? Yeah. <laughs> you well, know, that just, worked really well. Even just stretching out the overall wrap up of the vampires and do it in tandem so yeah. that that wrap up takes 10, 15 more minutes and is a little bit more climactic. And like I said, I don't even hate, the, I don't hate the Overlook sequences. It's not that they don't work. It's just in this particular film, they stand out in a way that makes you remember <gasps> that you're watching a movie. They yeah. kind of take you out of it. Well, it's the parts where they become a sequel to the book. I mean, a sequel to the movie, not the book. Right. Uh, so this comes uh, with, uh, like I said, the theatrical and director's cuts on separate discs. 
Um, the the only the unfortunately the director's cut is not on the 4K version. It's only on the Blu-ray version, which is really which unfortunate. Is, which, which is very unfortunate. But there are uh, uh, all extras are weirdly only on the 4K disc. Usually it's the other way around. They put the extras on the Blu-ray only. But there's from Shining to Sleep, where the director sits down with Stephen King. Uh, who apparently is just one of the loveliest human beings yeah. uh, and super fun to hang around with. Ever since um, he stopped doing coke, he's become a cool guy. <laughs> and they talk, uh, they talk about the difference between the novels, uh, the making of Dr. Sleep, a new vision, uh, 14 minutes more, Flanagan and King, along with Ewan McGregor, the producer, Trevor Macy, uh, Rachel Ferguson, and the young actress, Kylie Curran, uh, the costume director and other designer and others talk about every detail of the, the the development at least for 14 minutes. Return to the Overlook is 15 minutes with Flanagan and most of the same people uh, talk about you know growing up being a huge fan of The Shining and and then how we got here and yada yada yada. Yeah. It's like point by point things things about the film that he wanted to address. And I mean they're extended EPKs but they're really well done EPKs that are interesting enough that I'm like God I wish there were more of these here. I would totally have watched all of them. And I'm like, how is there no commentary track here? Feels well, like a movie that Flanagan would have been thrilled to sit down with Stephen King and do a commentary because track. Because nobody fucking saw this movie and they didn't <laughs> put enough money into the release. It could be that. Please, if you're hearing this, go at least watch the movie. You may not love it, but I think you probably will like it a lot. It needs to be seen by more people. Mike I, Flanagan is great. I, I think Mike Flanagan is one of, the, if not the best modern horror filmmaker working right now he's he's a tremendous talent um not every i haven't been in love with every single thing he's done but man the stuff he the bulk of what he's done has been really amazing between um house on haunted hill Mm -hmm. and then dr sleep those two which that was the last product of his i saw i am now in for anything he does like if i hear his name is attached i'm in well, that is it for Digital Noise this week. My big thanks to Aaron. Big, Always fun to be. Uh, uh, Papa Bear for joining <laughs> me. And I will be back very shortly with another Digital Noise with Sir John Golson. So stay tuned. <laughs>